Hello and welcome to The Stack. On today's show, we look at the new issue of MacGuffin magazine, a title in which each issue is based around a single object. This time, they have a podcast too. Also, we look at The Color Journal, a publication by creative director Benjamin Grillon. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show talking about colors. The Color Journal is a new project and publication by creative director Benjamin Grillon. The collection of six volumes will be dedicated to a single color each, blue, red, yellow, green, white, and black. Benjamin explains to me how the 436-page first iteration, Blue, was not approached the literal way. Benjamin Grillon, welcome to Monaco 24. We will talk about an exciting new project of yours, the Color Journal. But first of all, as an introduction, I mean, you do have a practice in Paris for creative solutions for brands. Tell us a bit more, actually, about your practice before we start talking about the great idea for the Color Journal. Sure. I actually just moved back to Paris because I used to live in London for 17 years and then Brexit happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I'm, I'm a creative director, mainly working for fashion brands. And I've been, uh, I've set up my studio um, about six years ago now. And I've been doing lots of fashion campaigns and, and uh, magazine, brand magazines as well. So I've been doing a Hermes brand magazine for uh, four years, redesigning the the entire magazine from scratch, creating a, a new bespoke typeface for it, bringing a new generation of photographers, uh, etc., etc. And then uh, after this, I did pretty much the same thing for Louis Vuitton and some other small brands like uh, Nanushka. I don't know if you ever heard about this. Uh, it's interesting because they're not from either London, Paris or Milan. They're coming from uh, Budapest in Hungary. And it's, uh, it's a bit more uh, contemporary, I guess. Voilà. So it's obviously a total different scale than Louis Vuitton or, or Hermes uh, magazines, but it's equally uh, interesting. Voilà. And I love to know, you know, when you make those magazines, because I find that for the customer, it, this is such an efficient way to connect with a customer when you do like a beautiful kind of magazine. I think that they really appreciate that in a way. And I'm very glad that brands, you know, as you mentioned, from Nanushka to Hermes, they care about that. And that's why they ask for your services. <laughs> Yeah, the in, I mean, the interesting case with Hermes is that the magazine actually exists for more than, they've been publishing the, the this in-house magazine for more than 30 years. Wow. It's always been kind of under the radar until a few years ago. But um, I guess the approach is interesting because it's not so much about the product. And in that sense, I think the, the perfect example is probably Acne Pepper because because I think, I mean, it's my, my own perspective on things, but uh, I feel like the, the magazine managed to, this magazine managed to achieve uh, such an iconic, almost uh, symbolic status because precisely it wasn't about the product. And I think it's a much more subtle way for brands to 
communicate about their values and to actually uh, yeah grow um, a community of followers. I feel like nowadays with social media, brands become their own media. So they need to learn the craft and how to tell stories in a different way than through campaign and, and showing product in a very literal way. That's fantastic. Very interesting to hear. But let's talk about your new project, which is the Color Journal. First of all, when did you come up with the idea? Is this is this something of your own personal project or is it connected to another brand as well? It's actually, um, no, it's a total personal project, which uh, probably started, uh, uh, I think, in a, in a very organic way because uh, of the frustration <laughs> I could sometimes feel by, by working for, you know, commercial projects and for clients. Obviously, when, when I was uh, uh, directing uh, Hermes magazine, it's a very nice project. But it's still a brand magazine, which means that there's a, a set frame and, and also you have to work within the, I guess, the constraint of the, 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 the brand aesthetic, which, you know, might be uh, limiting at some point. So I really, f at some point, felt the need to to express myself. And I think as a, as a photographer, it's, it's easy because you can just shoot an editor for a magazine an editorial for a magazine or a personal project. But as an art director, unless you have your own magazine, you can't really have a, a platform to express yourself. So this project actually started with this in mind. I actually approached it as a magazine. And then very quickly, I told myself, mm, should, I, should I actually do a fashion magazine? I wasn't sure the, the world needed a another fashion magazine so very quickly on i told myself that i should do anything but a fashion magazine and so I, i've started to uh, explore different avenues and then what i was interested in when when basically looking at colors is that there's at the end of the day a, a very set uh, a limited set numbers of primary colors and to me that was interesting because i didn't want to get stuck into the idea of of doing a magazine forever i kind of wanted to find a strong concept with a limited number of issues telling myself i'm just going to give everything and do that for a few years and then in a few years i'll do maybe another magazine with a, a total different concept but I kind of like this idea of, of you know, having a, a start and a sort of finish line. And so that's why I decided to embrace this color uh, theme, because depending, obviously, on, on your definition of primary colors, there's only six blue, red, yellow, green, white and black. So, voila, that was kind of the idea. I was kind of... Uh, forcing uh, six issues. And, and then the more I worked on this magazine, the more it became something else. And, and eventually, I ended up doing a, a collection of books instead of a magazine. Well, but I think the idea is, is superb. And, you know, especially this idea of primary colors. But I think your whole intention is that, I mean, of course, the first issue, which is which is out now, uh, it's blue, but you know, it's not so obvious. I mean, and I think even the stories uh, show that. Uh, for example, there's this really interesting one about uh, what's his name, this forgotten uh, Biscara, right? Biscara, yes, yeah, Biscara, which kind of influenced in him, Matisse, uh, and his famous blue yes. nude cutouts. So it's, you're looking at kind of a, a different angles, right? You're escaping the obvious in a way, right? Tell us more. 
Exactly. Well, I mean, very quickly after I kind of, uh, you know, um, give myself this, this frame of, of, you know, focusing on a, a color per issue, per volume, I told myself, okay, the first, the first issue is going to be dedicated to the color blue. Do I have to talk about Yves Klein's blue or uh, Matisse blue nudes? And, and on one hand, I, I, I was like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't do an entire issue dedicated to the color blue without talking about Eve Klein's blue. But then very quickly after that, I was also telling myself, wondering what I would say about Eve Klein's blue that haven't been said yet. And I realized it was in fact the real job of an art director together inspired by uh, cultural uh, uh, movements and, and, and pop culture and art in general. And to find, you digest all this and you find your own angle to, to, to tackle those themes, you know, and, and it sort of became a personal challenge to, in that case, find a different angle to approach um, if clients blue. So I kind of gave myself a few months to, to do some proper research because I, I feel like it's kind of the key also uh, uh, in, in this project. And I found an amazing story about if clients blue, I actually discovered that the blue that he, he, he discovered and, and patterned, he never came up with the formula. He commissioned someone mm. to actually find the, the formula, the chemical uh, reaction. And the more I discovered about this guy, which is kind of the forbidden person in the story, the more I found about him, the most fascinated I was. And so the starting point is if clients blue, but the, the story I'm telling in, in the, the color journal is the story of Edouard Adam, this paint supplier from Montparnasse who, uh, who found the, the formula for Yves Klein. And, and in a very similar way uh, regarding um, Matisse Blue Nudes, I almost naively told myself, what are the origins of those Blue Nudes that we, we all know, those collages? And then very quickly, I found about a uh, first painted painting he painted 45 years prior to the series of collages. It's pretty much the same position, but it's a total different aesthetic or style because obviously at the time he was into fauvism, so it wasn't the same the same style. And um, the title of the painting is Blue Nude in brackets Memories of Biscar. And so I told myself, who's, who's Biscar? thinking that maybe it would be, you know, like maybe there was a romance to be told because I'm, I'm very romantic. That's why. That's beautiful. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then quite quickly after that, I actually found out that this car wasn't a person, but a place. It used to be an oasis in, in Algeria and he traveled there in 1907. And th that same year, lots of things happened in that place. To give you a couple of uh, examples, there's a, um, a very famous French writer called André Gide, who uh, wrote his masterpiece called uh, The Immoralist while he was there, same year. There's also a Bella Bartok, Hungarian composer, that, that re who recorded the first African music ever on, on gramophones while he was there. And it was the biggest uh, palm tree field in Africa. The, the, the queen was um, getting uh, her dates every week freshly sent from Biscar. It was the place to be. It was the first I actually discovered that um, there was a, there was a, a thermal bath. So it was a kind of the first spa and all the rich Europeans were spending their winters there. 
And Matisse traveled there, and that's why he painted his first blue nude. That's and unfortunately, the, the, the place disappeared because uh, First World War happened and luxury tourism kind of stopped. And then Algeria became uh, independent in the 60s uh, after war with France and, and tourism just totally stopped. And so the, the place became just a random North African city. But the oasis totally disappeared almost. And, and I couldn't find, I found a lot of uh, images from the past uh, and I couldn't find any from today. So I went there with a photographer to document what the oasis became. And I guess that's also what I'm trying to do with Color Journal is to create a dialogue in between the past and the, and the present. And the format as well, we need to talk about this. I mean, it's it's big. It's 436 pages, I believe, right? Uh, the first yes. one. So it's... Uh, <laughs> perhaps that's Two what... Kilos. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what... I can see why you started as a magazine. You say, you know what? It's a series of books. Let's be honest here. What up? Yeah, it, it, I just I created a monster. <laughs> but we and what about your connection with color? I know it's not an obvious, but of course it's still uh, about colors. I mean, do you have a favorite that you have a very strong connection? For example, I was telling you, I don't know, I have something with yellow, but uh, but perhaps I don't know if you if you have a similar connection with a specific color. Not really, I guess. I like blue. <laughs> it's not very original. Oh, it's, it's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I actually um. I've discovered while I was working on the, on, on this project that uh, blue is the newest color. It's been kind of uh, imported in, in Europe in the 10th, 12th century. Prior to that, there's pretty much no blue in, uh, in our civilizations. And you might, you might actually uh, tell me like, yeah, but what about the sky or what about the, the water? And yeah, okay, it's blue, but it couldn't be reproduced. And also the concept of colors, the way we understand it has been defined by Newton and uh, the prism, but way later. So there's actually, there's a French historian who was specialist about colors uh, called Michel Pastoreau, and he, he wrote the introduction uh, of, the, of my book. And it's, it's very interesting because he's contextualizing the color through history. And in the case of blue, the only way to reproduce blue was through lapis lazuli, which was um, which is a stone that came from Afghanistan, or indigo, which was a plant. And those two basically are, are ways of uh, recreating blue kind of started to appear in Europe in, from the 10th century. So prior to that, people couldn't actually create anything blue. Which is kind That's of fascinating, uh, and I didn't yeah, know actually right? it's the newest caller as well. And Benjamin, what about where are you planning to sell those books? Are you choosing some specific retailers, or uh, are you doing something with your clients? I'm very curious how because I think the idea is great. I think there's definitely an appetite for that. I mean, just look at the amazing stories you were just telling us here. So the book is going to be available in. Uh, specific uh, um, bookstores and on the shelves of uh, museums, uh, I, I guess. You'll probably be able to find it in uh, some concept stores as well. And I've just launched a, a website yesterday for people to be able to order it online. And my plan is to actually, uh, from that publication, 
grow sort of um, uh, editorial platform. So I'm, I'm launching um, like independent publishing house to, to publish Color Journal and to publish some other books as well. And the next step is to talk to uh, TV channels and to uh, platforms in order to create a, a docu-series based on, on, on Color Journal because Every time I'm actually telling, uh, you know, the, the the stories I found for the book, people are like, "Wow!" But that could be a movie or that could be a documentary. So I'm I'm currently uh, I've started to talk to some uh, production um, houses to uh, to talk to uh, TV channels like BBCs or you know Apple TV or those those sort of platforms That's amazing. that could be interesting. Yeah. So I, let's see. I love <laughs> the idea of multi platform you know uh coming out of yeah the... because i guess once you've got the story it could be that that story could be told in multiple ways you mm. know and i guess the the book is probably um where you'll have more depth but then it could also be a snackable content on instagram and it could be a, a documentary uh, on tv or on a, a online platform and what's yeah. the next what's the next Sorry. one as well so the one I'm um, I'm working on at the moment is red. Uh, it's probably halfway finished already. Uh, still have a couple of shoots to do. I'm going to uh, Iraq to shoot a story uh, on lipsticks. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've shot some um, sun-dried tomatoes in uh, in Turkey, and um, and I've got a very interesting story about um, Mao Zedong Little Red Book. I mean, you're giving a lot of great spoilers. <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely be uh, holding uh, my, my red copy very soon as well. Benjamin, what an interesting story. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit with us as well. You're um, welcome. Thanks for the invite. Thank you very much, Benjamin. And I already look forward to the second volume, Red. <music> Let's talk MacGuffin, the wonderful biennial title which centers into a single object every issue. From trousers to a desk, it's always a delight discovering the object they choose. The latest issue is all about chains, an object at times contradictory, from horror films to decorative jewelry. For the new issue, they also commissioned a five-part podcast by a traditional pawn shop in Amsterdam, the Staatsbank van Lenning. I spoke with Kirsten Auer, editor-in-chief of MacGuffin, and also Elix de Masiak, responsible for their podcast, Chains. Kirsten Aurera and Alex de Masiak, welcome to Monaco 24. MacGuffin has been featured on the stack a while ago, so it's about time that we cover you guys again. And there's exciting new projects. But first of all, I'll start with Kirsten as well. I think a lot of our listeners know about MacGuffin. And the magazine still, I mean, is an incredible success. Tell us about perhaps the last few months and its 11th issue, right, Kirsten? Yeah, we're also quite surprised that we made it until the 11th and even working on the 12th and the 13th issue right now. So we're really happy with that. And when we started in 2015, so that's already seven years ago, almost eight, we thought we would make one issue and then see what happened. But it turned out to be a series. So we're very uh, glad um, that we we did those issues. And um, yeah, just to give you uh, an insight into what we're doing right now, I, I think 
MacGuffin, as you might know, is, is always themed with one object. It's quite a bookish magazine, so it does a lot of different research and it has visual essays and essays and texts and lots of different formats as well. But there's a lot of research involved always because, of course, we want to give as many perspectives as possible on the topic that we, we have or the theme that we have. So I think, yeah, the last month we did research, like we always do for an issue. And um, I think that's also one of the reasons that we wanted to do something beside the magazine, um, because um, of the six months of research that we do for every issue, every object, maybe 20% is used and the other 80% is um, just too complicated or doesn't fit in the magazine. We don't have the time to do it. So the last couple of years, we more and more did some things next to the magazine, varying from exhibitions to installations to workshops, field clubs. And yes, so also a podcast. This is our very, very first podcast. And it's something we always wanted to do because it's, I think it's a great medium to tell stories about objects. But um, yeah, we're also very happy that we found Alex to do this. Hebt gij nog geld nog goed? Ga deze deur voorbij. Have you neither money nor goods? Pass by this door. Hebt gij het laatste en mist gij het eerste? Kom bij mij. Have you the latter? Well, like the former. Come to me. This text, written by Balthazar Huidekoper, a Dutch writer, was put up centuries ago on the façade of the ouderzijds voorbegwal. Geef pand, ik geef u geld. Give pawn, I give you money. Waarom zou ik u borgen? Why should I help you? Of is het niet genoeg dat gij van het mijne teert? Is it not enough for you to profit from me? And Alex, how did you get involved actually with the project? Which, I mean, we have to say it's a fascinating podcast called Chains Podcast as well. I believe it's five, five part a podcast about the Staatsbank van Lening, which is a pawn shop, a very traditional uh, pawn shop in the Netherlands. And first of all, congratulations. I've listened to the podcast. It's so in-depth and quite, there's quite a lot of human stories there as well. I mean, the stories of the people that go there and sell it. How did you get involved, actually, with this incredible story? Well, thank you first for the compliment. I actually, like I say also in the podcast in the beginning, is I knew this from a friend who knew it from another friend, which already tells you enough about like how... It is very well known, but also it's almost like Amsterdam's best kept secret. And it is the municipal pawn shop. So the municipality runs the pawn shop and has been doing so for over 400 years. And so this friend of a friend buys jewelry there. And he just told me how he, this insane jewelry that he's got, like how he got it for so cheap. And so that's when I got curious. And then when McGuffin asked to make something around their issue, the chain, I thought this is a perfect fit, like a fascination that I've got, like just to, I'm curious of who goes there, who buys there, but also who sells there. And then maybe this is a good fit. And then McGuffin and Kirsten Aarons were very enthusiastic from the get-go. And that's how it all started. And Alex, it's interesting for me, the story, because although it's hyper-specific, because it's a, you know, it's a place, it's a shop in the Netherlands, I think it's, you know... I think you can also think of other pawn shops having the same type of stories. And, and I love the fact that you speak with some of the, the customers as well. So how, was, how did actually the pawn shop received uh, this idea when you, when you suggested to them? Because I know there was a tour of the shop as well. So clearly they were also part of the, the discussion there. 
Yeah, so they were very much involved from the beginning, actually. And I was actually quite surprised how open and welcoming they were. Basically, I just shot them a very simple email. I went to the pawn shop, the shop at the beginning, because I couldn't get in touch with them through the municipality. And they just gave me the email. It was very easy to get in touch. And immediately, they were very enthusiastic. And so they grant us full access, meaning that we also got to go behind the scenes. I spoke to a lot of people that work there in their offices and recorded also many conversations that they had with customers behind the scenes. So not in the shop, but like behind it. Um, and I feel like it's it's a very Amsterdam story, but it's also a very human story because the people that come there, they have all of these things that happen in their lives and, and the way they come there to the shop to sell the things or pawn the things. It's a very human interaction where you've got these stories of loss and of debt, but also stories of people that just have beauty in their life and how they interact with it on a daily basis. 400 years old, right? I mean, it's super traditional, and, and there's incredible stories. There's some jewelry that belong to the czars of uh, Russia, among, among many other stories, right? Yeah, it used to be a, a really a destination for many countries around the Netherlands, where people would come and pawn their items from sometimes millions of euros. And you had like people that lived around the corner, but people that came also from Denmark, from Germany, from England also. So it was very much a very happening place in the middle of Amsterdam. And so all of these stories and this history as well got incorporated into the podcast in these five episodes. And Gisten, I want to bring you this conversation about the chain. I mean, of course, we had the desk, the trousers, among many other uh, objects so far, but the chain is quite an interesting one, right? Because it has, it does have different connotations. I mean, from, you know, from a pawn shop to associated with slavery, with, with jewelry, there's so many kind of different connotations. Was it a particularly interesting one for you from all the issues of MacGuffin? Yeah, yeah, for me it was for sure. Yes, absolutely. Because, of course, you're always looking for a MacGuffin that is interesting in many ways. And that is a sort of uh, mirroring the world around you. And I think the chain, especially in the post-pandemic times, is the, the object that you want to discuss. And yeah, we made it just after the last lockdown. And we had the idea, like, it's incorporating all those different aspects of those days. I mean, on the one hand, it was like everybody was super happy that Corona seemed to be over for, for a while at least. And on the other hand, it was the start of the war in Ukraine. There was an ongoing discussion, of course, about enslaved people, decolonization, etc. So, yeah, we thought the chain is the object that we want to discuss right now. And it, it has these oppositions of lifestyle and jewelry and and the value of gold but also all the gold brush and the horrible things that that and slavery and, and chains brought in a way and a question for both of you to, to alex and kirsten as well i mean because we see here at monaco not necessarily all listeners of monaco 24 actually are readers of monaco and vice versa although we hope there's quite a lot of combination do you feel doing that you might get like a perhaps even a different listener and customer for the magazine itself for Matt Guffing because I know it's been covered in the Dutch press I was reading an article I think on uh, Het Parole, Parole I believe uh, it's interesting you know how do you think is it the same kind of the people that read McGuffing will listen to the podcast and vice versa yeah well of course I, I don't know exactly who's listening but I think that it might be um, for in part a, a new public uh, a new audience because Already when we started MacGuffin, we thought when we started that we would make a magazine for people in the design world or connected to the design world. 
And that didn't appear to be the case at all. I mean, it was a very wide audience, I think, and also maybe an audience that formed that was formed by the magazine in a way. So uh, not something that you could uh, know in, in, in front. And I think, yeah, all the projects that we do in different media have different audiences as well. So that, that was also a reason for us why it was interesting to, to make this podcast series and, and see, um, yeah, if we can connect to other groups and other people. No, I want to say I definitely agree. You never know where your audience is coming from, right? It's always a bit of a surprise and discovery along the way. But I think it's people that are interested in in stories. And, and I think the, um, even though a lot of the readership from McGuffin loves stories around design and, and beautiful objects, it's in the end the stories that all connects, that's a connected tissue. And so in that sense, it might be, I know this is terrible to say, but it might be for everyone, actually. It might be, it might be. And Alex, I forgot to ask you, what's what's actually your your background? I know you've made this wonderful podcast. Is it kind of with podcast or, or perhaps you were in publishing before? Just out of curiosity here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, I come from contemporary art, meaning that I work still as an editor of a Dutch contemporary art magazine called Metropolis M. And so after working in contemporary art as a writer and editor, I was a bit frustrated with the labor conditions actually in the art world. And so I made a podcast together with someone else about this where we interviewed a shit ton of people. And that was actually my first podcast. And from the get-go, I was very interested in podcasts as a medium that was about interviews, but also about um, making this production where you have sound play a very big role. So for instance, also in Chains, sound is quite prevalent throughout the entire episodes it comes in it goes it weaves itself in the story and so yeah that is my background and from there I'm now developing into more of a podcast maker I guess um, but still juggling a bit these two roles at the same time because I love writing and you know editing as well a lot but people should listen uh, to the chains podcast as well and by the chain issue of MacGuffin. And Kirsten, I know probably it's still top secret, but when actually the new issue will come out, just so we are prepared, when is uh, this 12 edition is coming out? I'm not even asking for a spoiler here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, can, I can tell you that it's in May and um, I, I, won't, I won't give you the theme yet, I think, <laughs> but it will be uh, something with wood and um, May it is. Thank you very much, Kirsten and Alex. For more, go to MacGuffinMagazine.com. That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Adam Heaton. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fp at monaco.com. And we'll be back at Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Before we go, a little song for you. Erasure, Chains of Love. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time. It's goodbye from me. Don't